All right, hello, and welcome back to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. I am your host, as per usual, Charles Hammaker, here with another episode uh, in the middle of the uh, pandemic here. I know it's a difficult time for people, um, so I would like to uh, hope everyone's staying safe, uh, staying inside. Uh, if you have to go outside for essentials, you know, staying safe, wearing a mask, all that good stuff. Uh, but I have an episode for you here, uh, which is going to be an interesting one, one that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I get to interview somebody who, you know, for at least most of my lifetime has been the voice of the Seattle Mariners um, and somebody that, you know, who is in the field that I want to continue to go in, uh, Rick Riz. So this should, uh, I'm definitely excited. Uh, obviously, I get a little nervous like I do before, you know, all the interviews I've had, even though I've only, well, after this one, I'll have three, but, you know, still, uh, it's still an exciting experience. So, you know. Do what you need to do. Get ready. Uh, sit down if you're not. Huh. Uh, and, you know, we'll get right into it here. I want to thank you again uh, for coming on. Um, and I'll just get right into it. Uh, what was your experience like uh, being able to, well, not being able to, but broadcasting in the minor leagues as well as just the minor league experience as a whole? Oh, Charles, it was a lot of fun, a lot of work, but... Uh... You know, you get get a chance to find out, number one, if this is what you really want to do, you know, in your career. You, you learn about the game of baseball. You find out what it's like to be in the minor leagues riding those buses for, you know, from four hours to eight hours, 12 hours, 18 hours from Memphis to Orlando, Florida. But what you really do is you find out that you really do love the game and broadcasting and you want to, you know, learn as much as you possibly can from the managers and the coaches and the players themselves. Uh, I spent eight years in the minor leagues from 1975 till 1982 with the Padres, the Expos, and the Yankees uh, farm clubs. And I had a chance to work with some major league managers who were uh, managing down to the minor leagues at the time. Pat Corrales was our manager in Alexander, Louisiana. And I had uh, Bob Miller and Dave Campbell in Amarillo, Texas. <laughs> And uh, also uh, Felipe Alou, you know, in Memphis, Tennessee, along with Billy Gardner and Frank Birdie in, in the International League when I was with the Columbus Clippers, the Yankees AAA Farm Club. So it was a great experience because you had a chance to do baseball every day, <laughs> and learn about the game and, and, and how to broadcast a game and come up with your own style. You don't want to be like oh, anybody yeah. else. You have to be yourself in this business. But you have to learn the game of baseball and understand how it's played and the way it should be played. And uh, your voice is a wonderful thing. But the most important thing is knowing the game, preparing for each and every game. So it was a great experience for me. Jeez. Oh, God, that sounds – because I was able to uh, – Scott Hansen with the Seattle Times did a great, great job uh, on an article. And I was able to read a little bit about that and, you know. I feel like obviously there might have been some cons, but I mean, being able to do that, you know, day in and day out does sound like a whole lot of fun. Uh, I'm just going to go. Oh, pardon me. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's not easy because you're during the game by yourself. You Mm -hmm. know, you're uh, I was the uh, stat guy. I was the producer and engineer. I had to set up the equipment and uh, do all the interviews, and uh, so I was the traveling secretary, you know, I had to arrange for the buses and the hotels and the meal money. Oh, geez. 
So it's 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 a lot of work, but it, it was worth it, and it paid off. What would you say? Uh, what, what's what's your routine if if you're okay with sharing that on a, a standard game day? What does that look like for you? Uh, you know, I, I really love what I do, and it starts from the time uh, when I wake up. Uh, I'll, I'll come downstairs, make a pot of coffee, and, and have my first cup of coffee, and then uh, read the paper, uh, check out the Seattle Times, and then I get online to MajorLeagueBaseball.com and, and also our website, and I, and I want to find out everything that's going on in the game of baseball, especially with our ball club. So I'll sit down with my scorebook and update my notes from the game before mm-hmm. and get my notes ready. And so I'll read as much as I possibly can. So there's about at least an hour and a half or two hours of prep time. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, in the morning. Getting ready. And then when I go to the ballpark, I like to get there early about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. And that gives me time to spend with the players, find out what's going on so I can tell some stories eventually interview the manager about 3.30 in the afternoon, Scott service, visit with the coaches. Then when the visiting team comes on by, I'll go in that clubhouse and visit with those guys. And that's basically my day, and that's uh, the preparation part. That's that's the, if you want to call it, the work part of the job. I love what mm-hmm. I do, and it's fun. But the fun part is when the pregame show is over, you've run the interviews, you've talked about the game, you've talked about the stories for that night, or what's going on in baseball, but the fun part is finally when you say, hi, everybody, welcome to Mariners Baseball, and you get a chance to broadcast the game that night. So that's basically my night, my day, and then I get up the next day, do the same thing, prepare my notes in the morning, and uh, do the same thing every day, and I love it. And I've been doing it for 45 years. I have uh, kind of two things that sort of branch off from that. Um, Do you have a few players, if you want to name them off, whether they are from, you know, guys that have been on the team or guys that have been on the away side that you have, that you enjoy, you know, being able to speak to the most guys that, you know, kind of they're, you know, how do I put this? They're more, you know, you kind of say, Hey, you know, I get to talk to this guy today. He always kind of gives me, you know, interesting stuff or he's always the one to talk to. Yeah. I mean, I've had so many guys like that. Uh, Charles, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., was just a joy to be around for all his years as a Mariner. Jay Buehner and Dan Wilson and Mike Blowers and all those guys in the early days of the franchise, Alvin Davis and Harold oh, yeah. Reynolds and Dave Valley. And I'd go on and on and on. We've been blessed with so many great players and great people mm-hmm. in our organization. Oh, yeah, for sure. And to this day, we're, we're outstanding friends and have been for many, many years. So... There's just a number of guys like that. And then on the other side, you know, you get a chance to, to meet some of the greatest people in the game of baseball. And one guy that really stands out was uh, George Brett. Oh, yeah. Back in 1983. Oh, yeah. The game, how mad he was when, when he was called out after hitting a home run because he had too much pine tar in his bat. <laughs> and, uh, I remember visiting with George uh, one time after that incident, and I remember how bad he was. And I asked him for an interview. It was the first time I ever met him. I said, Mr. Brett, I'm Rick Riz. I'm the new announcer for the Mariners here. It was 1983. Mm-hmm. I said, can I do a pregame show with you? And he said, yeah, sure. He was getting ready to have some early batting practice. And he said, when do you want to do it? I said, whenever you want. He said, let's do it right now. So we turned around. He was walking toward the batting cage. We turned around and we went back inside the dugout at the Kingdome there on the first base side. <laughs> visiting the dugout. And we sat down. 
before we did the interview, I said, I remember how mad you were when you were called out with the Pintard game. I said, uh, you all talked out about that. He said, Rick, this is your show. You ask me any question you want. Went, wow. <laughs> so to this day, George Brett, you know, is, is one of my fondest players. And uh, I still have a chance to see him when we go to Kansas City. He oh, yeah. Now works in the front office for the Royals. And uh, it was just a, a class act. And I've met so many guys like that, you know, in, in the game of baseball. <laughs> To sort of go back uh, to branch off from that earlier question, what helps you, you know, keep these things fresh? I mean, obviously, you know, doing things as long as you have. Have you ever, like, hit a wall when it comes to coming up with, obviously, things to talk to between pitches or between, you know, at-bats and stuff like that? How do you keep things fresh? Well, you know, uh, keeping things fresh, you know, in your mind, you, you talk about them all the time. You know, you mm-hmm. tell stories, and then uh, you'll just see something. If, if you've been in the game long enough, you'll see something happen down to the field, or you see uh, uh, somebody in the press box or something that'll jog your memory and bring you right back to a great story. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now it's fresh in your mind. Uh, I remember games uh, that were played back in 1983, especially from 1995. And all those games are still fresh in my mind because I've been having a chance to relive them by telling stories time and time again. So they become fresh every time I bring it up. I can still see Edgar hitting that double down the left field line and Dave Niehaus making the call. And I took off my headphones and I'm jumping up and down. I'm running around the bases with Ken Griffey Jr. scoring from first base, you know, with a winning run in the bottom of the 11th inning of game five of the American League Division Series. And all those things just come alive. But as you Mm -hmm. are in the game long enough, Charles, you you live all these experiences, you watch all these games, meet all these wonderful people in the game, players, coaches, managers, fans, general managers, other broadcasters and writers, and – you build up this this cabinet, if you will, of all these great stories and memories, and then somewhere along the way, I guarantee you, you're, you're going to reach back and find that in the file cabinet and be able to talk about it because it's going to relate to something that's happening oh, yeah. right right then and there. So uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that I've met so many great people in this game, and I have a chance to tell a lot of stories because that's what I think fans want to hear. They want to hear mm-hmm. stories instead of all stats and everything. So, oh, yeah. I love, I love telling stories. Being able to keep people engaged. I definitely get that. I definitely agree right. with uh, having things relate and, you know, and remember. I definitely I definitely agree with that. Um, so here's a question that's not, you know, as standard as the other ones. What do you – what's your opinion on these sort of unspoken rules of baseball? And when I kind of you know, get at that, uh, last year, I believe it was last year – uh, Tim Anderson of the White Sox, after he hit a home run against the Royals, kind of threw his bat a little bit, I guess. Um, and a lot of people in that, you know, he got hit later in the game, uh, and that caused, you know, the benches to clear and kind of sparked a thing where people were upset. There are these unspoken rules of baseball. You don't, you know, get all fired up and you don't sort of flaunt. How, what, what's your perspective on that? Um, cause I mean, there have been, there was a commercial too with, uh, with Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. And stuff like that. And letting the kids play. What's your opinion on that and sort of these, you know, 
quote unquote unspoken rules of baseball. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that that's where I think uh, the game has changed. I think a lot, but that's where I think the game has really changed a lot from the old school days when if you hit a home run, you ran out of the batter's box, you ran around the bases, and you act like you've been there before. And uh, if you showed up, pitcher, you know, watched it maybe a little bit too long. The next time up, you were hit. Mm-hmm. That's the way it was. You got you got a fastball right in the ribs, and there was no doubt about it. You knew what was going to happen. And then even if a guy in front of you hit a home run, you might get hit. You know, but nowadays, you know, it's a it's a I don't want to say a gentler game, but it's it's different now with uh, the players. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's not the intimidation factor that there was back in the old. Days. You know, pitchers, I don't think, pitch inside as much as they did back in the old days. And guys are able to get away with the bat flips and kind of stare. And, and now it's it's almost accepted. Oh, and uh, so that's where I think the game has really changed. But back in the old days, man, if you did that, you were you were getting nailed the next next time. You up. got some but, uh, coming out. Now it's just part of the game. They're letting the kids play and, and have some fun, which which I enjoy. I mean, I want to have as much fun as everybody else. But there's also – you also have to play the game with a certain amount of respect for your opponent. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go a little too far overboard, you know, I think, uh, you know, you're going to pay the price. So you'd say there's definitely a line between, you know, that yeah. new yeah. – Yeah, that make, definitely makes sense. Yeah, there's a line. You know, go ahead and enjoy it if you want to. Boone, Brad Boone, you know, had a bat flip, but he did it right away as soon as he hit the ball. Yeah. You know, he didn't stand there and toss the bat up in the air like Jose Bautista did that one time. <laughs> and just stood there for like, you know, for 10 seconds. You know, if uh, he did that to Bob Gibson, uh, Jose Bautista <laughs> would be in a whole bunch of trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? But uh, I think there's a way, to, a right way to do it, still have fun, and still showing your opponent some some kind of modicum of respect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it definitely, you know, as having you being able to see the amount of baseball you have, I definitely thought that would be interesting to ask because just trying to jog my memory on something like that, uh, I definitely think that has been something that's been different, and it's certainly interesting to see because there are some guys who, you know, they'll do that, but it'll get it out of the way quick and it won't be a whole show about it. But, you know, it's definitely yeah. something that's interesting to see as we continue to go along here. Um, is there a ballpark when you're on the road that you consider to be a favorite or that you a couple that you, uh, you know, enjoy going to the most out of the rest of the ballparks in the league? Absolutely. Uh, Fenway Park in Boston. Oh, yeah. I, I love Fenway Park because uh, I love the history of the game of baseball. Always have ever since I was a kid. I, I couldn't read enough books, you know, about the players at the time, Willie Mays and Sandy Koufax and Jackie Robinson and many others, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. But I love the history of the game of baseball. And there isn't a park in baseball, Fenway and also Wrigley Field, that mm-hmm. moves the history of the game like those two ballparks. But I love Fenway Park, you know, the intimacy of the ballpark, how close the fans are to the playing field, uh, the green monster in left field, of course. Oh, yeah. And every game that that I go to Fenway to play the Red Sox, I still go out there at home plate 
early in the afternoon. I stand out there at home plate <laughs> and I look out and I realize that that's where Babe Ruth used to pitch. Oh, yeah. You know, and stand in the batter's box where Ruth hit, where Ted Williams hit, and all the great players in the game of baseball. They stood right there. And it still gives you a, a neat feeling and a chill goes down your spine thinking about, you know, the great history at that ballpark. So I'd say Fenway Park and Wrigley Field. Yeah, I, uh, I did have a chance when I was a little bit younger to go to Fenway and, you know, just the, the places around it too, the, you know, the atmosphere around it. The, yeah, the Yawkey Way and all the shops and everything. It's definitely uh, – not like anything else. I, well, I've only been to a couple of parks. I've been to most of the ones in California and, uh, shoot, I've been to Houston's ballpark, but I mean, it's, it doesn't stack up to Fenway. I can't, you oh, know. No, no, no. Doesn't come close. No. no Fenway's got the history. <clears throat> when it comes to, uh, fan experience, uh, how would you say that T-Mobile Park stacks up against other ballparks? Cause at least, you know, I always have felt like, you know, here in all our ballpark, they've done a really good job of keeping, you know, things around the ballpark interesting, especially, uh, sadly, we're not playing baseball right now, obviously, but, you know, with the renovation going on, the little, uh, I believe there's a debt, they have a deck going up on the third level, uh, and some other things. I always felt like T-Mobile Park, formerly Safeco Field, they did a good job of keeping things around the ballpark interesting for people to do. How would yeah. you say, like, a, uh, in fan experience, I guess? I think as far as fan experience, T-Mobile Park rates as well as any ballpark mm -hmm. in Major League Baseball. Uh, the fans uh, are right there. There's not a bad seat in the house. You can walk around the entire concourse during the course of a ball game and not miss a pitch. Uh, every vantage point is great. Uh, so it's nice to be outside on real grass. We have the retractable roof, so we're going to play every day. Mm -hmm. On a beautiful day, the sunshine comes pouring in. On a rainy day, we're going to stay dry. And everybody in the state of Washington and around the Pacific Northwest, they know that we're going to play that night or that afternoon. But it's just a fun ballpark. There's a lot of great things to do around the park for uh, the adults, all the great food and everything, and the beverages, and for the kids, things to do. The Mariners Playhouse with the Mariner Moose. We have mm -hmm. the best mascot in baseball. <laughs> So as far as fan experience, you know, it's located in the south end of downtown. It's just a, a great area, and it's truly an incredible ballpark, and it's a lot of fun to watch a game in. So uh, I, I'd rate uh, T-Mobile Park right at the top of the list uh, as far as the fan experience for, for anybody to uh, watch a ball game. I definitely agree with that. I mean, obviously, you know, being around not – obviously as long as like a Fenway, I f do feel like where it lacks and, you know, that history or uh, something like that, definitely, you know, through everything that's happened, they've always been really good at keeping things new and fresh and interesting when you come to the ballpark. And I feel like that's, Sorry, that's, that's pardon me. The other thing too, Charles is, is the marketing department does a great job entertaining the fans through the court. Oh yeah. There's always, something going on especially before the ball game honoring somebody mm -hmm. or a special event on the field a first pitch a band uh, uh, an artist a musical artist singing the national anthem mm -hmm. and also fun things throughout the course of the ball game you got the moose dancing on top of the dugout, <laughs> you know and 
And it's just uh, when you come out to the ballpark, you're entertained. You're going to see a good ball game, a fun game, an exciting game, and you're going to be entertained uh, while you're sitting in your seat or walking around uh, T-Mobile Park. It's it's a great ballpark. I love it. Yeah, I couldn't I uh, I couldn't agree with you more because I mean. Even guys like stuff like first pitch, there's uh, I've been doing some research lately, you know, on guys uh, who have played basketball from, you know, Washington and a guy like Joe Harris, who went to uh, I think he was yeah. from Chelan. I didn't even know, you know, he's from around here. And then I see him throwing the first pitch and I was like, well, you know, it's it is I like I like we've said, I mean, there's I don't know if there's many other ballparks that can top like the fan experience when you yeah. come up here to Seattle. Um, here's a, here's a more general uh, question: Do you have a personal favorite moment from your entire broadcasting career? Sort of a highlight. I mean, I'm sure it's hard to pick just one. Uh, yeah, it it, you might have a couple, or. Well, I think the one that really stands out for me, Dave Niehaus had so many a Hall of Fame broadcaster. It was a joy oh, yeah. being with him for 25 years. But for me personally, it was the one game playoff against the California Angels, Randy Johnson against Mark Langston. <laughs> And the Mariners had to win that ball game to get to the American League Division Series against the Yankees. If they don't win that game, you know, there's no Division Series win against the Yankees, and who knows what happens mm-hmm. as far as saving baseball in the Northwest. So the Mariners had to win that game, so they went with Randy Johnson. The Angels went with Mark Langston. and it was a close game, one to nothing. Going to the bottom of the seventh inning, the bases were loaded when Luis Soho came up <laughs> and got a broken bat hit. And it eluded somehow. It got on by J.T. Snow at first base down the right field line. Here comes Flowers. Here comes Tito. Here comes Joey. <laughs> the throw home. Got on by Langston. His relay home. Gets on by Allenson. Here comes Cora. Cora scores. Here comes Soho. Soho scores. Everybody scores. Jeez. And Soho cleared the bases. And uh, the Mariners went out to a 5 nothing lead. They eventually won the game 9-1. to but uh, I had a chance to make that call in the bottom of the seventh inning. Mm-hmm. So that's the one call that really stands out for me. And the game that stands out for me was uh, my first game in the big leagues in 1983, working with Dave Niehaus at the Kingdom. It was a game against the Yankees. Uh, the Mariners beat the Yankees, Gaylord Perry against Ron Guidry. And that was oh, just yeah. a thrill. Then my dream came true after eight years of broadcasting in the minor leagues, wondering if I'm ever going to make it. And uh, to be with Dave Niehaus and Kevin Kremen and broadcast the first game of the big leagues was really a thrill. Yeah, it's actually, that actually uh, answers one of the questions I had here. What was, uh, if you were to have a sort of welcome to the big leagues moment, and that's definitely uh, sort of a, you know, I made it moment. I feel like for you, uh, at least if you would agree with that, uh, especially, you know, after, you know, from, you know, being with the, uh, shoot, Alexandria Aces and... Uh, the Amarillo Gold Sox. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Memphis Chicks and the Columbus yep. Clippers. And, uh, yeah, after eight years in the minor leagues, you know, you finally realized, man, my dream came true. I wanted to do this, Charles, ever since I was old, growing up in Chicago as a kid. Mm-hmm. And... Lloyd Pettit and Vince Lloyd and Bob Elson announces for the Cubs and the White Sox. And when I was 12 years old, I'd go downstairs in the basement, turn on the TV set to a Cubs game, turn down the sound, and pretend I was in the brick house and do the play by play. And when I was 12 years old, I wrote him a letter, and he wrote me a letter. He said, I want to be a major league broadcaster like you. How do I do it? 
he took the time to write me back. And it was really exciting to get that letter. And that's what I did. You know, I went to Southern Illinois University and walked on and made the JV team there and the baseball team. And I broadcast there and I got a job in the minor leagues. And then in 1983, my first year with the Mariners, uh, Dave and I drove over to Mesa to play the Cubs. And lo and behold, in the stands was uh, Jack Brickhouse. He you got to meet him. For oh, yeah. a couple of seasons. Uh, Harry Carey was doing the games along with Milo Hamilton. And uh, I had a chance to meet Jack Brickhouse. He came up to the booth. I said, Mr. Brickhouse, you don't remember this. But uh, when I was 12 years old, I wrote you a letter. And you took the time to write me back. And I really appreciate it. And he said, well, what are you doing? I said, because of you. <laughs> I said, I'm the new announcer for the Seattle Mariners. And I'm going to do today's game between the Mariners and the Cubs. This was at spring training. He said, really? He said, I wrote you a letter. He said, yes. Really appreciate it. It was inspirational to me. So because of you, I'm the new announcer for the Americans. And he gave me a big hug and everything. So it was kind of cool. He, he was my hero growing up. Like many kids, their hero was Dave Niehaus, you know, for mm -hmm. all those years that Dave was here. So uh, that was a great experience. If uh, if it's okay to ask, do you have a sort of, whether it's, you know, in the booth or just in, you know, standard life, do you have a favorite moment with Mr. Niehaus that you'd like to share? Oh, wow. Uh there were so many. Oh, yeah. It's, it's hard to pick one, but I'd have to say the 1995 season when the Mariners kept coming back after they were 13 <laughs> games out of first place in early August. And uh, we started winning ball games. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. finally came back. He had shattered his wrist mm -hmm. on May 26th of that year in the Kingdom a game against the Baltimore Orioles. Kevin Bass had a long fly ball and Jr. slammed to the wall and was out for three months. And then Junior came back in August, and uh, we got the best player in baseball back in our lineup. The Mariners started winning, and the Angels kept losing, and we made up that difference. And Dave Niehaus was right there and, uh, you know, had all the great calls and all the excitement. And the entire world finally knew what we knew here in the Pacific Northwest for years, that Dave Niehaus was one of the greatest broadcasters in the history oh, yeah. of baseball. And now is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He went in back in 2008. Hall of Fame. But if I had to pick game, have to be uh, game five of the series against the Yankees. Three innings and down by a run five to four. Corey let off the inning with a punt base. Junior followed with a single up. Comes Edgar Martinez. And, he took and was so good at the play what he was great at was setting up the and he said mm -hmm. right that yeah, before that the Mariners could get a line drive into the gap right now with junior speed he could score from first base and the Mariners could win it then here comes the pitch swinging a line drive it went down the left field line all the way to the corner Joey scores game <laughs> tied junior the third they're going to wave him in the throw will be late the Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship I don't believe it my oh my it just continues and David was right on the call I took my headphones off I was jumping up and down with juniors he was running around the bases like I said earlier mm -hmm. but Dave Niehaus was so good at setting up the drama he never ever missed the great play never missed any play but never missed the great plays he was there always there for it and he was one of the greatest storytellers in the history of our our game of baseball so that's the one game that really stands out for me but he was 
he was great every night. I think his greatness really stood out during the lean years of the franchise, Charles, when the Mariners weren't winning a lot of ball games. The one thing that fans could count on and tune into was Dave Nehouse. Oh, yeah. And he entertained the fans. He kept the fans going. And he always said that, hey, if we ever can give the fans something to cheer about, this place will go crazy. And finally, <laughs> it, it happened in 1995. But uh, Dave Niehaus, no doubt, was one of the greatest broadcasters in the history of the game of baseball. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, you know, for most of my lifetime, when I think about Mariners baseball and, you know, when I'm walking around the concourse, uh, usually it's I hear you, you know. Um, But, you know, uh, earlier when uh, opening day was supposed to be, I kind of sat there and I uh, I pulled up some of the uh, best you know on the YouTube best moments from Dave Meehouse and I you know I still remember sitting there and listening and it's uh, it's incredible you know being able to be here and being able to listen to him and I mean there's uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything I mean you know yeah. I wouldn't want to be a fan of baseball anywhere else. What's your time uh, been like with Toys for Kids and how that's uh, expanded from you know when it first started out with a group of guys and to to where it is now and having uh, being able to do different programs programs and it's more than just toys for kids wow well thanks for asking yeah we started toys for kids dave henderson and i mm-hmm. along with uh, 12 of the former players now uh charity back in 1995 and uh Hendu and I went to uh, uh, one of our favorite bars in Pioneer Square after a ball game, and we're sitting at the bar, and uh, I saw a report on television sitting at that bar, and uh, it's talking about the homeless situation. If you spend time in Pioneer Square, you can see a number of homeless people walking around, and it Mm -hmm. just really tugged at your heart. And I saw this report, and it said there were 8,316 homeless in King County. And I looked at Hendu and I said, man, if there's over 8,000 homeless people, I said, how many are kids? Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't know. And I said, I didn't know either. But there was something I always wanted to do. And uh, I wanted to get the guys together, pool our own money together, and buy toys for homeless kids uh, during the holiday season. This was late September. It was during 1995. And I said, let's get the guys together and uh, form our own little group or charity and, and go find these kids and buy them toys at Christmas time, which is only three months away. So Hendu said, yeah, let's do that. So I got a hold of Edgar Martinez and Jay Buner and Dan Wilson and Jeff Nelson, <laughs> Aaron Seeley and Paul Sorrento and Johnny Moses and Matty Sinatra and Julio Cruz Jeez. and Hendu and myself and... Uh, Oh, my goodness. Uh, Bill Kruger became a part of our group. So we all, uh, John Olerud as well, Mm -hmm. we all put together our money, raised $18,000, and I had to go find these kids. So a friend of mine was running the First Avenue Service Center, which is a homeless shelter. Oh, yeah. And his name was Terry. And I said, Terry, I said, you know, I got this money. I said, how many kids do you have here during the holiday season that we can buy toys for? He said, well, we have you know, in and out about 20, 25 kids. I, I said, are there any other places? He says, oh, Rick, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's the Broadview Women's Shelter and uh, Harborview Medical Center has a Christmas party for homeless kids that they take care of during the course of the year. Then they invite them to a Christmas party. So I got a hold of those three uh, 
uh, homeless organizations. I mean, arguably it's not a homeless organization, but they take care of the homeless kids and people mm-hmm. during the year. So that first year with our $18,000, Charles, we bought toys for about three or 400 kids. Then every kept growing a little bit and about four years into it, uh, the RBI club, Birch Fazio, got a hold of me. He was the commissioner of the RBI club, which is a group that supports the Mariners each and every year. Uh, and he said, hey, what are you guys doing? I said, well, I had your the guy started his little charity called Toys for Kids, and we buy toys for homeless during the holiday season. He said, well, we have a little dinner and auction every year. He said, you come by and get some autographed balls, bats, and jerseys, whatever. We'll make some money, and we'll give you the money for Toys for Kids. I said, oh, that's great. So we raised about $20,000 in that first auction four years into it. And every year it kept growing. We said, you know what, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Well, the more money that we so we went out, I went out looking for more homeless organizations uh, buy toys for their kids, and it just kept growing and growing. So from that first year with our 18,000 bought toys for about three or 400, well, last year had our big uh, toys for kids. Gala at the Charles, we raised over seven hundred and two thousand dollars. Now we worked with over thirty different homeless agencies, and we bought toys for over twelve thousand homeless and underserved children. Wow! Six five thousand dollar uh, college scholarships uh, in honor of Dave Henderson, the Dave Henderson Memorial Scholarships. Uh, we also. Uh, buy backpacks for kids. We take 350 kids out to the ballpark for Christmas in July. And uh, we do many other things as well. We buy breakfasts, hot breakfasts for kids in mm-hmm. schools for thousands of kids. And uh, we're, we're happy to help out wherever we can. But that's how it all got started with an idea. Dave Henderson and I started it with the guys uh, 24 years ago. This will be our 25th year coming up. And it's been very, very rewarding to help out these kids and their moms. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's been it's been a, a lot of fun, and it's, it's great to see these kids get these toys. Yeah, when I was uh, doing my research, I saw that, and I always uh, obviously sports are great for so many things, but you know, just sometimes the the things that you see people in sports doing, and I always love that side of it you know guys you know with either foundations or being able to work with charities or being able to help people out i always really appreciated that so i definitely wanted to get a spotlight on that and uh yeah because you know with what we do we're very blessed with what we do and and we have an incredible platform to mm -hmm. help out others everybody does such a great job to help us out so it's been very very uh rewarding yeah, I definitely want to do a spotlight that because uh, from what I've seen, I went to the website and it's it's grown to more than that. And just seeing the different programs, I thought, you know, these guys are doing a lot. And, you know, I definitely think that's uh, something that's great. And, I, you know, I don't, definitely didn't want to just, you know, uh, smooth over it and not acknowledge it. I feel like that's something that's big and it should be yeah. talked about and definitely yeah, want to we, do where well, i'm very lucky uh we have an uh, uh executive director heather jones who to 
New Heights, and uh, she's done uh, many other incredible programs, uh, like the ladies. There's usually 30 to 35 ladies at the Broadview Women's Shelter, and she'll take the, the moms there out to the Joe Bay Salon to get their hair done and their nails and their makeup, and, and we make these moms feel really good about themselves to help get their lives back on track along with their kids. So um, it's, it's been a really an amazing program for many years, but we, I've got a lot of wonderful people who help me out, a great board of directors, and we're just going to do more and more each and every year. Well, on that, I want to uh, thank you for your time. I mean, personally, for me, like I said, you've been the voice of the Mariners for me for the majority of my life. Uh, and I, you know, people, obviously nowadays, you know, there might not have been as much of a, you know, fan base for baseball necessarily as there would have been in compared to other sports. But I always love being out, to, being able to go out to the ballpark and getting there early and just hearing the, the songs that they play, uh, the standard songs that they play before the gates open. And it's always just been real fun. I mean, I'm not sure if it was you specifically, but uh, at the end of the season last year, uh, I uh, I went out on a limb and I got a Kyle Lewis. I made a Kyle Lewis custom jersey. And that was funny. I was sitting there um, and there was this big camera behind me. And I was like, oh, shoot, I might be on TV. So I went back and uh, I waited until I think midnight uh, for the replay. And uh, someone, uh, I, shoot, I have the video saved on my phone here, but uh, it, was, it was cool to hear that and see that I was on TV and that was fun. And I actually got to meet Kyle. Uh, oh, wow. But uh, yeah, like I said, I just want to thank you for not only your time, but for, you know, being able to uh, be the voice of the Mariners for as long as you have and, you know, I'm sure there are times where it's not easy and, you know, things I know we spoke about, you know, hitting the wall, but, you know, just coming in each and every day and, you know, being that guy and just yeah. thank you overall. You're very welcome, Charles. I'm living my dream. And I tell everybody, young people like yourselves, that if you want to do it, you can do it. And uh, if I can do it, you can do it. Uh, just love the game, work hard, you know, put in the effort and really believe in yourself. And, uh, do as many baseball games as you possibly can. You did a great job with this interview. Very impressed. But uh, I'm living my dream. I'm very lucky, and I hope a lot of other people can say uh, the same thing. So thank you very much. I enjoyed being with you, buddy. Thank you. Just a little uh, post-interview comment here. It was definitely uh, probably one of my favorite. I've, I've only done two, uh, three of them now, but uh, I would definitely say that one was one of my favorites, uh, being able to speak to Rick Riz and talk to him and hear some of his stories and, you know, where he's been. Uh, and the guy who, you know, I've looked up to as a guy in the field that I want to go into and, you know, the voice of the Mariners for me uh, for most of my lifetime. Um, so I definitely am blessed to have that uh, opportunity. I know there were some times where the, uh, the connection cut out a little bit and, for some reason, when the connection cuts out on these calls, it makes a weird noise. So if that's what you heard and you're wondering what the hell happened, that's what that would be. But uh, for the most part, it was good. Uh, so, yeah, at the end there, Toys for Kids, Rick Riz does that, and that's great, great stuff. I mean, can't can't beat it. I mean, so I definitely wanted to uh, showcase that. And, uh, great guy. I mean, outstanding you know to speak to on and off uh 
the call, I mean, on and off the interview uh, itself. And, uh, you know, I know he said, I think in the article I read, he's supposed to retire here in a couple of years. Um, and that's going to suck. Because, uh, you know, going to lose a guy that I've heard uh, talk baseball for most of my life. But, you know, got to cherish the time when it lasts. And like we said, uh, hopefully we're all able to stay safe here and uh, follow guidelines. And hopefully uh, sometime, I don't want to say soon, but sometime eventually here we'll get baseball again. And I'll be able to get back to the ballpark. Uh, so, yeah, I know things have been crazy. I know I'm recording this on the day of the 23rd. Uh, the NFL draft is supposed to start here in about seven hours or so. Uh, Six and uh, six hours and six minutes uh, at five uh, five o'clock uh, Pacific time. Uh, but this was something I wanted to put together. And actually, a year ago today, on the date a year ago, I was at the uh, Trailblazers game when Damian Lillard hit that three over Paul George to uh, knock the Oklahoma City Thunder out of the playoffs. So it's been uh, today's an interesting sports day. So uh, thank you all for listening. I know uh, episodes have been here and there, but I've just been lately, I've been trying to get in contact with people, uh, whether it be the Seattle Storm, Seattle Sounders, Seattle Mariners, Seattle Seahawks, former Washington Huskies, uh, about getting in contact with interviews. Uh, so uh, still working on a couple of things, waiting on a couple of replies, uh, but it's definitely been uh I, I always have fun doing this and this is something I want to continue to do. I don't, I won't promise anything, but um, probably get an episode out next week. Just uh recap the draft. It'll definitely be interesting to see what the Seahawks do here with their uh, first round pick or if they keep that first round pick whatsoever. So uh, yeah, I want to thank everyone who's listened. I know I have uh, 15 followers on Spotify. Thank you to those uh, 15 and everyone else who follows on everything else. I know that I'm on anchor here that I'm recording on. I know Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, I think, and a whole uh, couple other ones, but thank you all. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Stay safe. Uh, stay inside. Follow guidelines, please. We all want to get outside here. So just follow the rules and have a good rest of your day.